Welcome to Love This Food Thing podcast. I'm Gemma. This is the place where we explore our relationship with food, be it friend or foe, and how this affects our behavior. Here's today's episode. Welcome back to Love This Food Thing podcast. I'm delighted to be joined today by Nicola Moore. Nicola is a renowned nutritional therapy expert specializing in empowering women to achieve optimal health and well-being and has worked with over a thousand clients across the UK and globally. Nicola is dedicated not only to those she sees, but also to improving professional and ethical standards in the nutritional therapy profession. This is a real tongue twister, Nicola. Her signature program, Liberate, teaches women how to find their right way to eat. Nicola flies the flag for excellence and is a real trailblazer in her field. Welcome to Love This Food Thing podcast, Nicola. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a real pleasure to be here. It's lovely because we met on a business day, didn't we? A business event and had a bit of a chin wag in a break. Yes. And uh, yeah, I think we might both have some similar, possibly contentious or challenging, maybe even provocative views on what we're about to talk about. So I'm really looking forward to chat with you. So how would you describe your relationship with food? Would you describe it as a friend or a foe? For me, food is a friend. So Mm -hmm. um, it's not um, something that I've always counted as my friend. It's not actually ever been a foe, but I probably spent the first half of my life um, just being disconnected with food is probably the best way to describe it in terms of as when I was younger, I suffered with a lot of things like tummy aches and um, feeling overly full from eating and things like that. And so I didn't ever really, um, and I was a fussy eater as well as a child. So I've learned to really love food as an adult um, and love cooking and in and love the experience of eating. And for me, the interest and connection and friendship with food has actually come more from me learning about and understanding the amazing features in food, like the botanical compounds, the volatile oils, the vitamins and minerals in food. And me engaging with how those foods interact with us and what they do for us. So I, I'm really fascinated by that side of things when it comes to Ooh, food. I just got a little thrill when you said botanical oils. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. So just very briefly, what was it like when you were a kid at home? How was, how was, what was the family messages around food? And how did you... And I don't mean a really in-depth kind of analysis, but how did you kind of pivot away from being disconnected with food, probably through your education? And how did you resolve your physical discomforts around food as well? So there's like three or four questions in there. What about you, Emily? So do you know what? I think that we probably, to understand my relationship with food and the dynamics Mm. about food in my household growing up, we probably have to go back to my mum's experience, actually. Okay, so what I understand from my mum's experience of food as a child was my mum 
grew up in a house where she had four older brothers. She was the youngest. She was um, an exceptionally talented ballet, ballet ballerina, ballet dancer. Wow, okay. And um, she... Um, she grew up in in a, in a house that was very loving, but I guess quite high achieving. And my nan, who was a lovely lady, but she had a lot of ambition for my mum. And right. my mum did uh, spent a lot of her youth, in fact, all of her youth, doing an awful lot of training for ballet. Now, okay. my mum was able to use food probably as a child to assert some authority and control in the family dynamic. And my mum experienced food from the position of using it to show that she could be stubborn and not have to follow the rules. So my mum really would have not, yeah, so my mum often used to say, you know, I'd sit for hours and just not finish my meal and and she wouldn't be allowed to get down from the table and things like wow. that. So my yeah. mum made a decision as a child to never do that to her children. So what I grew up with was a household where if you didn't want to eat something or if you were full up or whatever, it was fine. It wasn't that you were offered lots of different alternatives, by the way. But, right. but so there was that going on. But also my mum really never connected with food in a particularly positive way so food was always functional so you know you sit and you eat and um it wasn't you know I've 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 met people since and my husband's family you know they have very different memories of food always being a celebration and a, and a, a sort of a, a big event you know lots of things revolve around it I didn't have that experience I didn't know that I didn't I didn't know that I was missing it I suppose until <laughs> I was older yeah, of course we don't, do we? Do, do you think in some way you internalised your mum's um, res restriction and her lack of control in your own body as a young child? I, I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think I would have had that level of awareness and I don't think it would have seeped into the extent that it would have been maybe a problem. But I think okay. that, I think that given a lot of foods or something was going on where I was getting tummy aches. I mean, I've since been diagnosed with endometriosis. I think that I've had a sort of an ongoing problem with maybe dairy for, for a lot of my right. life that could have been causing right. some underlying digestive problems. Um, right. I think the food just often didn't make me feel great. I think that's more, that's more sort of what may have been going on for me when I was younger. But I don't, I wouldn't describe myself as ever having a problematic relationship with food. It's more that yeah. I never really connected with food and I didn't look forward to eating. I so just I'm did gonna, it. Yeah. Yeah, I get yeah. it. I get it. And some people are very functional around food for all sorts of reasons. And I'm going to assume that you just weren't that interested because it didn't deliver. Yeah. 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 I mean, and I definitely so had meals yeah. that I liked. I remember my mum making sure. shepherd's pie and it was like, oh, it's good it's shepherd's pie tonight. But, yeah. <laughs> um, but wait, there wasn't anything going on where, you know, I didn't experience my mum cooking food and it being this big gastronomic extravaganza or or being encouraged to be in the kitchen or conversations about food. It was, you know, um, it was, I do, it was I do. functional. It was functional. I do. I remember cooking with my mum and baking, but really, as when I got older, my mum wasn't really into cooking. She's not that bothered about food and she's Pretty, she was pretty functional about it. And I think after, because my mum is 
80, gosh, she's going to be 89, but after kind of 40 years of doing all the cooking, because she never taught my stepfather how to cook, she was just like, I just can't do it anymore. She hated it. Hates it. Still hates it. But it's very interesting, isn't it, how we get parented and... Of course, it's essential how we get parented and then how how we um, either follow on with our parents' behaviour or not. So how did you, did you then go and study nutrition when you were yeah, 18? Because yeah. you were at the I Oxford School of Nutrition, yeah, weren't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, So You've I was older, actually. Okay. So I, um, oh, I left school at 16, actually. And yeah. um, I worked for a number of years, went travelling, never really found that I was very happy uh, in my job, uh, I hadn't enjoyed school. Um, right. And actually, when I came back from travelling, when I was in my early 20s, I, I'd, I'd, I'd read a book about food before I'd gone away. And it, I'd got, actually, my mum had got me for Christmas a, a book um, that was about the healing powers of food or something. And I'd really okay. connected with... Oh I goodness, know that title. Yeah, yeah. Th- there's all these things in food. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, when traveling came back and um I was really just looking for some what else I could do with my life. Um I I bought a book called The Optimum Nutrition Bible by Patrick Holford. I had that. Yeah. What a seminal book. What and, a seminal book. Yes. And it I really still have it. yeah, it really changed my life. And I've mm, there was mm. information in the back of that about how to train to be a nutritional therapist. So I took it from there really. Wow. Wow. So because that book was I- immense and there was this huge, and particularly because I had all these eating disorder behaviours, so I was always rushing off seeing people and nutritionists and trying to find a way to eat and it never working because it wasn't about the way I was eating, it was about how I felt about myself. Mm. But I do remember that there was this kind of swell of um, interest and, and knowledge about nutritional therapy Yes. And I remember, I can't remember, they were in the Holland Park. I can't remember who it was. Oh, it's but, um, um, the Hale Clinic. You think it's the Hale were Clinic? They, the Hale Clinic are now in Regent's Park, aren't they? Oh, yes. Up there. But I'm just, oh, I can't remember who, I can't even, no, it's gone. But I do remember this period when Patrick Holford was really big news and it was it was like a new it was a new discussion i think people with eating disorder behaviors my experience is that you are very interested in reading all about food and how to control it and uh, you, you know the, the latest kind of research and diet plans etc cetera, etc cetera. well that was my experience mm. anyway um but yes okay so you trained to be a nutritional therapist yeah yeah yes and then what happened well i um Within my first few weeks of practicing, uh, after so I did four years of studying, mm. um, people were coming in to see me uh, very quickly. I established people coming to see me who wanted a restrictive diet. So they had uh, read a book. Okay. Um, maybe the, what was really big at the time was the anti-candida diet. I don't know if yeah. you ever came across that. Yeah. I came um, across everything. Yeah, yeah, so all of that kind of dialogue. And for me, it didn't make sense that, you know, I was concerned about people's relationships with food surrounding this. And um, I was seeing people who, it, from my from my view, were getting more unwell by restricting food. Um, and getting more confused by the rules 
and more confused by following the current trend. And what I decided I wanted to do right from the beginning was speak a different, speak from a different, um, above that noise, I suppose, because I didn't see it working for people. I didn't see it um, actually helping them achieve their health goals. Um, In fact, all I saw was it um, making people get more unwell and more anxious and fearful about food. And that really troubled me. I didn't see that as being a way to go. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that anti-candida diet and uh, it was brutal. You couldn't eat anything, could you? And and <laughs> as is much often the case with these things, that was basically an N equals one kind of piece of research. This was a lady who yeah. had been unwell, discovered by cutting a lot of things out that for some reason she felt better that way and decided that that had to be the path that everyone followed. And I think, I think this is where we both connected when we were talking, when we met, is that... Um, you know, you don't know who you're talking to out there. You know, you can, I think it's quite difficult to, um, and it's, you know, in a position of authority where you're saying, I am someone who's done training and I've got nutrition credentials, but I've also decided that this is the way you should eat and everyone should fit into this box is fraught with difficulty and is something that I am very concerned about. Yeah, it it is that one size fits all mentality. Everyone wants to find that one way to to eat and and to feel and to to manage their. I mean, also food is emotional, isn't it? I yeah. mean, you're talking about a yeah. functional relationship with food, but the way that we eat, that the, we express our distress or our joy or however we feel on our with our food and with our bodies. Yeah. I'm just. What was I going to say to you? And what was I going to say? Yes. So anti-candida diet, I'm thinking, I'm thinking we're talking about the 80s, aren't we? Late 80s? She, I'm talking oh thinking gosh. about people coming to you. It was in the, it was in the 90, end of the 90s. Was it 90s? That okay. I, okay. So I graduated um, beginning of the 2000s, but maybe she had been chugging along before that. Okay, um, I'm getting. I can't remember anything anyway. Well, I've got I'm, I'm, no concept of time. I, I'm really bad. In fact, I was just having a conversation the other day with someone who was saying, "When did you? When did you have your first child?" And I was like, oh, "I was 29." And then I was thinking, actually, I wasn't. I was 31. But I've got no. I never know what's going on. <laughs> I'm just thinking about how much how much information came from America, and what you just said about. One person had this story and this experience, and then it becomes, uh, 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 it suddenly becomes like the new thing for, for many people. And so much information around that time about exercise, about diet, the whole wellness culture, how to live your best life. I mean, that, you know, the Americans are great at it. And I know it's been going on for a very long time, but particularly when I was in my 20s and 30s, I was super influenced by it. Yeah. And yeah, it's all the people who are, who are who are backing it and funding research and good old Tate and Lyle and all those kind of people. We're going to just going to take a little break. If you're at the other side of an eating disorder and ready to make food your friend, check out Nicola's course Liberate. Well away from the dieting narrative, Nicola will help you find a path to eating that's simple and gentle. Visit www.nicola-more.com forward slash liberate to find out more. Welcome back to Love This Food Thing podcast. I'm here with Nicola. And Nicola and I, when we did meet on this business day, we talked about the 
Well, I wanted to talk about changing rigid beliefs around food and eating because eating disorder behaviours are behaviours and their defences and they are rigid. Those behaviours become almost like indefensible positions, which means that people really struggle to let go of those behaviours and those beliefs around food and eating and their body. And Nicola is so expertly qualified that she also works as... Are you a cognitive therapist as well? So I, I, I've done additional um, research and study into things like positive psychology and That's right, yeah. cognitive reframing. I wouldn't go as far as to say I'm a cognitive behavioural therapist at all. But that but adds to that lens to your work, right? Yeah, when you work I, with clients. Yeah, I'm as interested in the emotional connection with eating as I am in the physiology and all of that. I think for me, because eating is emotional and from the moment we're born, we are conditioned from a neurological perspective to yeah. connect suckling and milk with feelings of contentment and yeah. all of that. You know, you can't disconnect the psychology um, and the, the physiology. They, they are both intertwined. So I think, what do you yeah. think, when you have, I mean, you've seen so many people over the years, I'm talking broad brushstrokes here as well, but what do you think's going on for someone psychologically when they are restricting food? And then secondly, because I'm sure you do get people who are then taking in food, but not able to hang on to it and therefore getting rid of it. What's your take on it, just so, personally? Yeah, I think I think that firstly I should say I don't work with people who have an acting eating disorder okay. as is defined okay. by the right. um, the the sort of the 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 spec the spec yeah yeah you know, that, yeah and all of that ticking the boxes but, yeah but you can't work in nutrition I don't think without meeting people who have. Um, a complicated relationship with food or have had in their history a complicated relationship with food. Okay. So um, I certainly do meet clients regularly who will, um, let's say, let's say binge eat or um, who will, um, and, and my experience of people's association with binge eating can be very different as well right. you know so it's interesting right. to dig into what is and what do you consider binge eating because for some people that can actually be something that somebody else would consider a meal so it, yeah so there's yeah there's there's different layers to all of this stuff I meet a lot of people who are very keen to let's say be good in inverted commas through right. the day. Healthy eating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. and they may not have breakfast because they're intermittent fasting because they've read that right. that's good in inverted commas. Yeah. Then yeah. they will have a salad at lunchtime that is again good in inverted commas. And yeah. then through the afternoon and evening, they are just propelled to eat and snack and graze. Um, right. And that there's a sort of a cycle of, of, of things going on from, from that perspective. So I'll, I'll meet, the, you know, that is, I often say to clients, you know, because there's a lot of shame that comes with those sorts of patterns of eating. But if you were to look through the windows of people in your up and down your road, you'd find people doing 
exactly the same thing because there's such an entrenched narrative of diet culture in society. Um, I also think that there's a lot of people out there who they have like a love-hate relationship with food. They want to be in control, but they feel out of control, you know, and they are very sort of determined to do the right thing and get so entrenched with particular ingredients you know what do you think of this what do you think of that I can't eat that can I because I read that that's bad and I can't so like and gluten or something all sorts of things all sorts, all of, sorts things. of things and yeah. um you know that is it's such a a, a, a sort of a a restrictive mindset people are restricting in terms of food they're restricting in terms of pleasure they're restricting yep. in, in so many ways so I'd say that that's what I commonly come across as a, as a nutrition professional and I won't be alone in that I think anyone working in the field of nutrition is going to meet people whether they are having those deeper conversations um, an understanding and wanting to elicit from somebody exactly what's going on with their, what how they're feeling, what their unique relationship with food is. I, I don't know, but that's certainly something that I see as being a really important part of the work that I do. Um, I want to, I want to go back to that, but before I forget this question, people coming to you now in twin women you work mainly mm. well uh, solely with women so women coming yeah. to you in 20 some men as well some men as well okay sorry so women and men mainly women coming to you in 2023 what they come with is it different from 20 years ago yes it is now so was it restriction back then and now is it well, it's a different type Pretty of commerce health. Yeah, it's a different type of restriction. And I think the other thing to say is to be fair, also, you know, as a as a sort of professional out there working in private practice, you are also doing a degree of work in wanting to speak to your ideal audience and the, the sort, of, sort of people that you want to help. So I think that there'll be a degree of the sorts of people that come and speak to me are... Um, engaged with my content and that is a particular type of person versus maybe 20 years ago I was newly graduated I was just not doing you know so however however before when I was you know 20 years ago I think it was very much you know anti-candida anti-fat um anti um fasting so very much about eating and snacking eating and snacking and grazing um that was that um you know the restrictions were very much on things that would feed problems and stuff like that Mm -hmm. nowadays what I see a lot more of is because I think social media um you know this uh, complete overwhelm What, what was happening before was people who were in that sphere of wanting to understand either what was wrong with them or like you, you know, having this a sort of complicated relationship with food that was manifesting in restrictive behaviours. Yeah. You were seeking yeah. out a book, weren't you, from the bookshop and stuff like that. What's Absolutely, happen- on every level, seeking yeah. out something, yeah. What's happening now from my perspective is that whether you want it or not, you are being bombed. If you're on social media you're being yeah. bombarded with information and it's almost creating an even more troublesome 
culture with regards right. to having to do, you know, do this, do that, do the other, that the cons- the consumption of this, this messaging is, is, is much, probably much bigger um, and much more nuanced. I don't know. I think right. you had Rosemary Connolly, didn't you? And you had all of yeah, that. Yeah, we did. We oh. had the fibre diet. Yeah. No, it was Rosemary Connolly. The, yeah, fat, fibre. I can't remember. It was fibre, whatever. And everyone was eating um, shredded wheat and stuff like that. And it was. And then we had the Atkins diet, which yes. came very much yes. through American telly, particularly Friends and celebrities. Mm-hmm. And I hoovered up magazines when I was a kid and when I was a teenager. And I imagine now if if I was a teenager, I imagine I'd be hoovering up social media, which I don't do. But, but it's this pernicious diet culture that just seems to successfully evolve with whatever the technology is, with where how we get our information. Yeah. The cultures are still there, aren't they? Yeah. The drivers are still there. It's fascinating. Okay, so someone comes to you, they have rigid beliefs around food. They're probably very fearful. They have a lot of shame. You're so right about diet plans, um, <laughs> healthy eating, and, and the shame involved because it's so difficult to maintain because we get very hungry and we eat for all sorts of different reasons. And then you fail, inverted commas, and then the shame rocks up and you're off, aren't you? You're off in the in the dynamic. So how do you, I don't know, how do you invite someone to let go of their religious, their rigid beliefs? Well, I think that, you know, compassion and empathy um, has to play a massive part and Mm -hmm. making sure that I fully understand someone as best as I'm going to be able to before I start even making too many adaptations to, to supporting someone's health and well-being through their through their diet um I think I start by really asking the question to begin with you know before I even take a client on um in it, when we meet just for an inquiry meeting I'll say how do you feel about food you know that just that question in itself can be very enlightening not yeah yeah not not always you know I think as well we don't often we don't get taught things in school that I think it should be taught. We don't get taught right. about emotions that much. We don't okay. get taught no. about feeling our emotions and letting them move through us. We don't get taught actually if we understand if we're hungry or if we're full. We right. don't get taught about what food is. You know, there's lots of things. So sometimes if I ask that question of a client, it might actually be the first time that they've ever really stopped and tried to articulate. And that can be a really good starting point for me with understanding how I'm going to work with that client. Because um, eating is emotional. There is a lot, there is a lot that goes on for people with their relationship with food. And if they're feeling unwell as well, if there's a health dynamic involved in that, that then there's often a connection there as well. So if I came to you and said, I find it really difficult to eat because I feel like I'm failing. I only eat this this set amount of foods. And if I divert from it, it ruins my day. So I guess we go very gently. Yeah, yeah. From my perspective, working with you, it would I would see it as um, a privilege to work with you over quite a long period of time to help you feel safe um, around food, and for us to actually explore um, the fact from the fiction, and to for me to teach you about 
the the benefits of food, but that and right. how your body works and how you can look on food in a, through a slightly different lens. Um, That's yeah. yeah. It, it, I know I, I love that because yeah. you're giving someone space, aren't you? you a, you're, well, you're giving them permission, you're supporting them, you're holding them, and you're opening up a new space and going. Actually, maybe the way that you've been looking at this, maybe this was helpful, but now it isn't. And how about this angle? And I I use that phrase with a new lens a lot. Yes. And I yeah. think it's just because you just want to feel free and open inside. Yeah, and this opens up the cognitive reframing. This opens up right. the new, you know, with cognitive reframing, what you're really doing is talking somebody, talking to somebody about what their current view is and why they've picked up that message and how, and then turning it to look at it from a different perspective. Um, that in itself can be quite freeing. Um, small nuggets of information can be very helpful for people. I think that, you know, these things take a lot of time. If you've if you've had an entrenched belief or message about food um, that has been running along for a lot of your life, you can't expect somebody to suddenly bend to your will and see things differently. Um, yeah. The brain doesn't work that way. And so many people have had food go running on in the background with regards to how they are processing their emotions, for example, for a long time. So if as a child you were upset and you were given some food to soothe you, or mm -hmm. if as a child you were told constantly, um, don't eat any more of that, you know, or if you were told as a child, um, you know, um, why aren't you eating that? Or this is yeah. good and this is bad, you know. And if yeah, you, that, yeah. you know, I, th I think that there's so much conversation that's going on in formative years in the house about food that isn't coming from joy, that isn't coming from um, how food should be celebrated. It's more, oh, it's a bad day. Oh, I shouldn't have eaten that. Well, that's a bit high fat, but I'll do that. And I'll, I'll start, it was a bit of a cheat day today. Well, I'll start on Monday and, or pushing, yeah. you will all have this, but I'm going to have this because I'm on a diet at the moment. And, you know, all of this messaging, you can't expect that to just change for somebody. But what you can do is help somebody to see things slightly differently and to start to learn about the the, the basics of, understanding emotions, understanding and finding different tools to help process emotions, um, understanding about different states of hunger and why we might choose to eat and why not, understanding the physiology of why we might be driven to eat or feel low or feel anxious, you know, what could be going on with our biochemistry that plays into that. Food plays a role in all of this. So I very much see food as being actually an opportunity for people to have moments and pockets of happiness in their day, of having something for them to um, look forward to and positively anticipate um, and digest well and, 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 and be able to understand if I eat this, these are the benefits that I get from it. I think the other thing is that I spend a lot of time with clients helping them to understand it's about dietary patterns over time. It's about lifestyle patterns right. over, over the course of 12 months. You know, you're looking wow. at, you, you know, we have been fed this narrative of short-term stuff. 
And uh, there's a perceived start and end point. There's a perceived big goal. There's a perceived event. Um, I detest the word willpower. You know, I think (laughs) that using, I think it's such a negative framework to come from when it comes to food and eating. Um, It should never be about willpower. Willpower is a destructive force, you know, from my my perspective. So um, helping people to understand yeah, the, the other thing, like as women, if a woman is still having her periods, you know, we are programmed to have different appetites at different points in the month. We we might be propelled for to to crave certain things to actually actually help our brain chemistry at different points in the month. I was about to say this because we're we're taught to eat for our aesthetics. And actually, when you're taught to eat for your microbiome, yes, bacteria in your stomach, your second brain, well, three brains, aren't there? Or you're taught to eat for your brain in your head. Or when you start to view and feel your body as this miracle, because it is a miracle that we are here, mm. it can shift everything. We're going to take a quick break. If you're at the other side of an eating disorder and ready to make food your friend, check out Nicola's course Liberate. Well away from the dieting narrative, Nicola will help you find a path to eating that's simple and gentle. Visit www.nicola-more.com forward slash liberate to find out more. Welcome back to Love This Food Theme Podcast. I'm here with Nicola. We're in the home stretch. We're in the home stretch. So we're going to cover a couple of topics. I'm going to be very bold. I'm normally quite kind of loose, but the, the two topics that we're going to discuss are the efficacy of diet plans. Nicola's already said that she doesn't work with people who present with strong eating disorder behaviours in the way that maybe I would or in the way that we talk about it on the podcast. But my So we're going to ask, do diet plans, you know, do they work? My experience is that when I was getting myself together. I had diet plans and I found them very helpful and very repressive. So they worked for a little, a little while. And some of my clients also, they have diet plans, particularly when they've been in an eating disorder unit and they haven't been eating at all. They then cannot let go of the diet plan. It becomes another tyranny, but it does get them eating. So, And then our second topic is that Nicola has um strong feelings and views I think about her industry and she's one of those people who will take on anything that is counter to what she believes and she is up for discussing it so then we're going to go there so what do you what do you think about diet plans do you think they're tyrannical do you think they're helpful do you think they're necessary are we approaching this in the wrong way what's your take on it I'd say for the general public and the general public are often very confused about food and eating and all the things that we've spoken about already with regards to diet culture. Diet plans and diets themselves are unhelpful for the vast majority of people. In my experience, there's a perceived start and end point. You have to fit into a particular box. There's a degree of restriction coming in. Mm. Um, And it does not teach the individual 
anything about the things that we have been talking about already. It doesn't even really tend to teach somebody because if you've got points or if you've got colours or if you've got this and the other, you know, you're not really learning what is food, what is nutrition, how does food work in my body? It doesn't teach any of that stuff. Um, In terms of eating disorder recovery, um, what from my from my studies and my understanding of it that I think that to some people with some people in some such circumstances having a really clear plan could be incredibly helpful yeah. um, because it does give um a, let's say a support blank a, 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 a security blanket yeah, it's Maybe, a starting yeah. place, isn't it? Somewhere it's support, like a harbour, a, a harbour mechanism. While you, yeah, yeah, mechanism. I think that where where support for eating disorders really comes into its own, where, where there are there's potential for for it to to really be helpful, is that not seeing that diet plan as being the end point that you're getting to, and then you send someone off with that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah, yeah. that having a holistic approach to it all, an understanding, and a, and a, you know, it's all a very luxurious thing that I'm asking for, isn't it? The luxury of time, the luxury mm. of space, the luxury of resource mm. to be able to do this. But ultimately, you're wanting to help somebody to be free of the shackles of something that's very rigid because your words are exactly what my experience has been from talking to people which is it's helpful on the other hand but it's repressive at the same time and while you've still got that disconnect and will you while you've still got that slight jangle you know that's that's not um going to be helpful for long-term freedom from from what's going on from the eating relationship. You're so right. And as your emotion, as your internal self heals and you find more balance and more self-love, because I think all of it pivots around the belief that you're not good enough or you're unlovable. So many varied versions of that. As you start to heal and you start to feel more loved and lovable, so the need for that kind of tyranny lessens because you don't need that control because there is so much to control because everything's balancing out. Yeah. Yeah. So talk to me about your take on your industry. What's your, do you like have a kind of mission statement about it or something that you continually come up against or that you like to? Yeah. yeah. I I think that uh, I'm not speaking for the whole industry, of course, um, Mm. but I can only speak to my observations and I guess to the clients I work with who have maybe, let's say, been around the block before we work together. Right. Um, What I, the concerns I have about the nutritional therapy profession, I suppose, is that we do have a big responsibility to to not give people food-related anxiety or give people like health, health-related anxieties. Do you mean almost to exacerbate the issues that yeah, are already gift there? them. That responsibility, gift right. A, gift them anxiety about food and right. ingredients. Gift right, them right. anxiety about their health problems. Right. And I think with the best, you know, coming from the best of intentions, um, you could get a, um, a very sort of... Um, 
engaged um, nutrition practitioner who might be able to see from somebody's case and their health condition or whatever it is that the right way in inverted commas is to start doing restrictive eating um, recommendations, maybe taking out a certain food group, maybe taking out certain types of fibres, maybe taking out certain um, proteins or whatever. Yeah. And... My concern with that is that it feeds into it for a lot of people. This more this narrative of fear, food is something to be feared, second guessed, um, surveillance happening about what you're eating and how you're feeding as a result, and right. it can lead to more and more restriction. And I I want I worry that there is too much jumping into. Um, this kind of thing. Um, and there's so much perceived perfectionism in the industry and so much perceived, um, I, I get it as a nutrition professional, I'll, I'll share pictures on Instagram of food that I've made and I may yeah. have used convenience food in that. You know, I might have bought some meatballs. I might have bought right. a deliciously Ella soup. I might have whatever I might have done, right? Yeah. And it's very Other interesting. Other soups are available. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 yeah, yeah. Sorry, I'm just, I'm just, I'm thinking of exact examples where I've then been sent no, messages, you. you know, saying, I've had messages from people saying, I'm shocked and, and disappointed that you are, um, that you're, that you're not sharing homemade meatballs, for example. And, wow. you know, at the end of the day, um, this is not how most people are eating um, and I it's not right I don't want to create uh, I don't want to just go further into that area. so there's there's all of this stuff yeah. I feel it as a, I yeah. feel it as a professional I feel judgment on me as a nutritional isn't that interesting isn't that interesting yeah, that you, people are pulling you up and going we really expect more of you it's yeah it's been it's been an interesting experience it's very much the silent it's very much the you know you've got the silent minority that are yeah. uh, you know but you've got the loud uh no the loud minority isn't it that sometimes can come in but it's actually I've not heard that phrase but I love it yeah it's, it's loud made me, minority it, it's made me more resolute you know um okay but, but the uh, I, I just I just worry that as nutrition professionals, we also feel we should be presenting some sort of perfect panacea. And that's yeah. not true to life. It's not true to life that you wake up every single morning and you skip out of bed and you feel rested and wonderful and you do your yoga and you do a bit of journaling. <laughs> and you, but do you know what I mean? That's, you and you make your green smoothie, which was all the rage three years yeah, ago, and now exactly. I cannot even go near all, a green all smoothie. Of, yeah. All, yeah, all of all these reels that you see, the reels and reels on Instagram. Yeah. Now, actually, it's normal to kind of just feel all right. Yeah, it's normal yeah. to have days where you feel low. It's normal to have yeah. experiences where you're happy. Um, yeah. The brain should not be set on constant happiness. You know, it's normal that energy would fluctuate. It's normal that you sometimes feel bloated. It's normal yeah. that every once in a while you feel a bit constipated. You know, this is the human body. This is the lived experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just want people to step away from that perceived perfectionism. And my my sort of, my kind of strap line is forget perfection and find balance. You know, right, find, find a way of eating and living that works for you in this current moment of your life. 
Oh, I love that. Because can I just interrupt you there? Because I'm also thinking that our, and this is a huge topic and we really don't have time to talk about it, but we are living in the Western world with a food culture that is failing many people. So we're also having to manage that, aren't we? Which is different from 40, 50 years ago when lots of people would have been growing their own food and you just have to look at what's happening with farming and how we produce food, et cetera. So there is also that to manage. And so when you said living the best that you can for this moment in time, Mm -hmm. then yes, that's so important. I think, yeah. yeah. I generally say to people, you know, if you're looking to buy something to eat, just take a look at the ingredients. And if you recognise it as food, then you're okay. You know, and... You don't need to start second-guessing anything else. And you don't need to start um, telling yourself off that you're not making something from scratch. I mean, you know, it's so common. It's a a joke, really, in nutrition that, you know, we often will recommend hummus to people to eat or whatever. And, you know, so many times I've maybe spoken to clients about hummus. It comes up. I don't know. It's one of those things that comes up. It's a good example where I'll say, well, just go, you know, you can get some really nice like pepper, roasted pepper one if you want to try it or beetroot and mint or there's all different things you could maybe try. Um, And I might be just engaging people with flavours, textures, sensations, right? right? So there's more to food than what's in it. But they'll be like, "But so I don't have to make it from scratch. And I'm like, no, I don't make it from scratch. I buy it. And it's like, oh my God, that's so permission giving. Yeah, absolutely. What's your, you said botanical oils at the beginning. Volatile oils. What's your, did, what did you say? So this botanical, I think I probably said botanical features and volatile oils. Oh, I see. <laughs> but then there's probably botanical oils as well. Yeah, exactly. Redo the whole yeah, interview. Yeah, no, no, no. Redo yeah. it, redo it. Yeah. Um, Yes, no, let's not talk about volatile oils or botanical features, although I have a plant in front of me. That's my botanical feature for today. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, my, it's, it's, it, I just think that the better you feel about yourself, the more that you love your life and love yourself. And I'm not meaning to... I have a client who always accuses me of running through fields of sunflowers. And I'm like, yeah, but why not? It took me a while to get here. But the, the, the better you feel and the more... The more that you bear witness to your own life, as we said before, and how miraculous it is that we are here, the more you want to nourish yourself in the most natural and wholesome, and I'm not doing inverted commas, mm. way mm. possible. And so that's going to extend not just to food, but in, in all areas of your life, isn't it? Because yeah. we, are, we are natural beings. Yeah. Are we? Someone's going to go, I can't believe you just said that. Do you have anything else you'd like to particularly say? Because we're coming... We are natural beings. What on earth are you talking about? Do you have anything you would like to say before I just go and hide in a cupboard? No, I've loved this and I think you're absolutely wonderful. Um, oh. I'd love to think of you skipping through of sunflowers. I'd like to do the same thing myself. I just know that I'd fall over. I would, I'd, <laughs> my ankle would go. I'd go down the dip or something. Um, oh, bless you. Bless no. you. Thank you. No, thank you so much. I have one more question for you. Yeah. You've been just a joy to talk to, an absolute joy. If you were going to an island, any island, any kind of climate, what five foods you can change your oh, mind tomorrow? No. What five foods would you take with you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Right. <laughs> um, I would take 
I would take some things to help me make anything I found on that island delicious. Okay. So I would take some olive oil and maybe some seasonings. Am I allowed to? You have that in a store cupboard. I'm so sorry. Oh, do it's I? already I've there for you. Yeah. I want you oh to take goodness. five foods. Yeah. Okay. You've got. Mm. Goodness me. Well, I can I can list off. I can give you my two most favourite vegetables of all time. Um, Go on. So, broccoli is one. I love broccoli. Yeah. Broccoli has. Um, a lovely, all cruciferous vegetables have this wonderful compound called indole-3-carbonyl that mm-hmm. helps the liver to be able to do its job and our, our cells to be able to process and detoxify things really nicely. So okay. I would do that. I'd take okay. beetroot because it mm. is very versatile and delicious and again has some really lovely plant chemicals in it that help with uh, lots of things to do with digestive health and well-being um i would probably take something like probably some chicken because chicken for me is a really wonderful comfort food actually i can I, can, I love roast chicken. I love chicken okay. soup. I love stir fried chicken. I love the flavour of it. You can do lots of different things with it. So, and it's a good source <laughs> of protein. Okay. I would probably take chocolate. So Which, what have, kind of chocolate would you take? Mm, if, I'm, if I'm there by myself and I don't have anyone around me and I just want it for pure pleasure, I think my ultimate chocolate is a twirl actually okay she's taking a twirl I'd take okay, a twirl brilliant I could say I could tell you 70% dark chocolate and all of that yeah, stuff yeah. right but I know I know no. I know well done yeah um yeah fifth final one thing goodness me I'm gonna really I, it's so hard when you love so many things isn't it maybe yeah. I would take um goodness I suppose maybe I'd take some rice because again maybe I can do lots of different things with that Um, okay and would you take a particular rice brown rice white rice you've you're done now you've got what I love I love black rice because it's so beautiful and it's so beautiful you can buy it cooked in a little in a little pouch yeah it has a lovely nutty flavor again those dark color pigments are brilliant (laughs) For us, <laughs> so I would be helping myself, but I'm I'm she already re- I'm already regretting not saying tomatoes and garlic. By the way, no, and no, onion. don't worry, because I I will bring you tomatoes <laughs> and garlic the following day. Yeah. Nicola, thank you so much for coming on Love This Food Thing podcast. Oh, it's been a pleasure, You're just a joy, pleasure. A joy. Thank you for having thank me. Thank you, thank you. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Love This Food Thing. If you'd like to reach me, I'm on Instagram at Love This Food Thing or you can head to our website, lovethisfoodthing.com. Join our community. Everyone's welcome. Catch you in the next episode.